And if the adults, if we would step up to teach true, genuine love to the next generation, we see it all over the country in the news. They're ready to spread it. They're ready to take it. So it's a generation. Statistics show that 98% of Gen Z want to be a part of something that changes somebody's life. Welcome to the Tabernacle Podcast with John Vermillion and me, Britton Bishop. What's up, John? What's up is this dungeon has an aroma and it's whatever you put in your coffee. It is. It's, it's filling the room, man. <laughs> it really is. But it's better than probably what either one of us smell like. So uh, yeah. we'll run with it. It's a it's it's good coffee, folks. If you uh, want to donate coffee to the Tabernacle, you can drop that off at two one three. We're looking Wexford. for a Tabernacle. Uh, no, I'm yeah, just kidding. a little Tabernacle coffee. <laughs> so, no, what's in that coffee? It's like caramel, vanilla, something. Ooh, I don't know. It's from the Keurig. But yeah, I think the smell you're smelling is the Buckley unfiltered water. Yeah, maybe um, that's what it but, is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Um, Tab family, you're joining us on the um, back end of Rattle. We're back into Samuel. We're digging into Scripture again. Uh, not that we ever stopped, but uh, going through it chapter by chapter. And uh, we find ourselves in another episode where John and I just kind of uh, think it'd be cool to see what God has to say about something rather than uh, us trying to get creative and write this incredibly well wordsmith script of what we want to talk about we decided uh have last we week... wordsmith any script no <laughs> no we haven't <laughs> never that was a falsehood we yeah. never have a script never have we yeah, had a script yeah, down yeah. here with the the phrase and by i say john and i decided we talked um right before we came in <laughs> about yeah. jumping into the text but that's not us being reckless that's us just wanting to see what god has to say about what we want to talk about last week you uh if you haven't listened to last week's episode i would really highly encourage go back and jump into that because it's going to be one that kind of seamlessly flows into where we're at today, because last week we talked about what do we do now? Um, John, we just left the Rattle series, and we're kind of coming off this spiritual mountaintop, and we addressed topics of like, okay, so sooner or later I got to come down, or sooner or later I got to go back up, but we're kind of addressing this valley time that people find themselves in as they kind of step out of an awesome campaign like Rattle, or they come home from camp, or counseling ends, and they got to go back home to that husband or that wife, or whatever that situation looks like. And we kind of just talked about, and I think what we boiled it down to was, keep it simple, fix your eyes on Jesus, and trust the fact that he's very clear in what he says when he told Peter in John 21, follow me. Follow me. What do I do now? Follow me. And I think um, that's where we get to this point in Second Timothy. And John, do you want to kind of break down the context of what's happening right here? Yeah. So in Second Timothy, this is uh, Paul's last letter uh, to someone that I believe he led to Christ. It doesn't say it explicitly, but Paul does speak to him. Uh, he calls him my son in the faith. So Paul's a spiritual father to Timothy. So Timothy's a younger guy. Paul's an older guy. Uh, we believe that Paul, when he wrote this, was in prison. And uh, uh, as a lot of his letters he wrote, you know, when he had time on his hands, when he <laughs> yeah. wasn't out planting churches and starting riots, you know, he finally calmed down, went to prison and wrote us some epistles, you know. <laughs> but um, but this is his second letter. And the passage I think that you chose for us uh, for this podcast is perfect because it's talking about what's next for Timothy. Yeah. This is what's next. You know, I trained you. I, I discipled you, you know, I made you a pastor, and I put you in charge there, uh, you know, with the Ephesian church. I wrote you a letter. This is my last letter. And imagine what the spiritual mountaintop revival rattle was when Paul was preaching. Oh, yeah. It had to have been pretty cool. Yeah. You know, but he's gone. He's about to die. You know, he's going to be martyred. And so this is a perfect what's next. The whole book is, but especially this little section that you chose. Yeah, so we find ourselves in um, chapter 2 of Second Timothy, and Paul is writing to Timothy, and um, in my Bible, 
the kind of subtitle for this section says, A Good Soldier of Christ. So I'm just going to read it, and then we're going to go through, and we're going to do this fight club style like we say all the time. We're just going to say, see, what's it say? What's it mean? What's it mean for me? What's it mean for us as a church, as a podcast family? So, um, yeah, we'll be in chapter 2, verse 1. It says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules, and it is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. That's so much packed into those seven <laughs> verses. Seven verses. <laughs> and I think that that, before we jump in and dig in, I think so often, I know for me growing up, and it was like, man, I got to read a Bi- the Bible and I got to do it a chapter a day. Mm-hmm. And I got to knock this whole thing out because that's how you read the Bible because you want to finish it. And I want to say I read it in a year and I want to do all these things. And I think that if I was to take chapter two and read that whole thing, there's just so much that you would miss. And so, one, as we look at studying Scripture, I want to encourage the fam- the, the podcast family and anybody listening to slow down a little bit. It's not a race. So that's just like a practical, tactical tip to studying the Bible. Slow down. Actually read it. Read it twice. Read it three times and see what it says. But, yeah, that kind of— So, yeah, just I want to jump in yeah. there. I heard a guy say one time there's two ways to read the Bible. You can read to finish— which is what you were saying. I got to get a chapter done, right. five chapters a day or whatever that is, you know, my one-year Bible reading plan. You can read to finish or you can read to change. Mm. You can read to change. And so I think uh, um, that goes right along with what you're Do talking you, I about. I mean, this has well, – And both are good, by the way. Oh, absolutely. Reading to finish, there's nothing wrong with no. that. But what you're saying is, man, you really want to get the meat out of it. Yeah. You want to savor a meal, you know. Think about the times when you're starving yeah. and you just sit down and you pound food as fast as you can just yeah. because you're so hungry. You barely, I mean, it barely touches right. your taste buds. It just goes in. That's how I eat every salad because I don't want to <laughs> taste it. I'm like, I just got to get this in it's so I know filler. what's in there. Yeah, yeah. it's just filler. <laughs> but there's other times where you just savor it. Oh, and yeah. Like when it's the last chocolate chip cookie right. with bacon in it, you just savor just a little bit at a time, you know, that. Praise God. Yeah, yeah, and honestly, God's word works both ways. Yeah. So even before we get in, that's a that's an excellent point. I'm glad you said that. So I have one more question to go based off of that because yeah. this is our podcast. We can talk about whatever we want. Yeah. When no you talk there. about um, reading to change, yeah, what are some like practical ways you would say that you've seen that have worked in your or in leading fight club tables that you've seen people do? Because I think this is something that happens often with people is kind of like, okay, what do you mean read to change? What would you say is like one practical tip or two practical tips for like approaching scripture that way? Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, I think one thing um, that the listeners may not know before we started this podcast, we prayed. Because mm-hmm. you and I basically were studying the Bible together out loud. We didn't right. plan this. We didn't prep this. So we're so we're reading to change. We're just doing it with a recorder on so that we can share it and hope hopefully be a blessing to some other people. So one real practical tip is, man, when you come to God's Word, which it says about God's Word that it's living and active, mm-hmm. I think it's a good idea to pray first. Yeah. Hey, Lord, I'm about to jump in here. Help me to listen. Help me to hear if there's something in here for me. And I'll be honest with you. I'm a pastor. I'm a you know, in some people's eyes, a holy man, you know, which is, come on, we're all holy, right. we're all saints if we're Christians, you know. Right. Um, and, and, and God doesn't have something profound for me every single time. Mm. 
but sometimes he does. He's a god that way. Yeah, <laughs> you know he'll he'll decide when he wants to drop a big nugget or you know have you know scripture just come alive. Right. But why not start with prayer? So that would be one thing. And then the second thing would be just this model that I didn't come up with, but we use we try to use with all our Bible studies at the Tabernacle. I know I use it with mine. I start with what's it say, so that you got to read it or listen to it to to know what that little bit of scripture, just these seven verses here uh, that you read. What's it say? What's it mean? If I don't quite understand it, then I start looking at notes or cross-references or yeah. if I have a study Bible, what's it? now what's it mean for me? That's when I hold the Scripture up to my life. Yeah. And so right here, you know, Paul may not be writing to me, but God's Spirit is speaking right. to me. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I may not be Paul's Timothy, mm-hmm. but I am a Christian. And so to me, he's saying be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. There's strength knowing that God has shown me grace and given me grace that I'm adopted, I'm a child of God. So it's immediately applying that scripture yeah, to myself. Absolutely. I can be strong in that grace. Right. I mean, that's something we talked about. If you want to go back and re-listen to the episode with Foster Christie, where you just look at like the strength that comes from living, not only being saved by grace, but living by that grace. Yes. It's something that there's so much strength and confidence that comes to the Christian life when grace isn't something that just happened one time at camp, but it's something you're daily allowing yourself to experience and something that you're allowing yourself to rest in and to operate out of. Because I think that in my experience, and, and it's so easy in ministry to look at the things that you do wrong or the things that you don't do wrong, or even in parenting or family, I mean, family life, whatever it looks like, but I think it's so easy to not give yourself grace. Yeah. You give it to other people. Exactly. You give it to other people or it's really easy to tell people you want to receive it, but like then you immediately get down on yourself because you're like, Oh, that was that was a terrible message. Yeah. Or man, I could have been I could have I could have dadded better today. Yeah. Right. I know yeah. I've, I sit at a fight club table with some incredible fathers that I I want to be like someday. But I mean so often it's just like, man, like when I responded like this and it's like just trust the fact that you're teaching grace. Give yourself and I think that there's a confidence that comes from operating that grace. And I think that when I look at old man Paul writing to Timothy, getting ready, that's what he's trying to remind him is like, hey, just so you know, you're probably not good enough. Yeah. But because of this grace, find strength because it's going to be hard. Yeah. And so I don't know. And that's 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 a good point because Paul, you know, I mean, we just jumped in here. He goes, you then my child, he's talking to Timothy, be strengthened by the grace that in Christ Jesus. So at the fight club table that I'm a part of. We're going through First Timothy, mm-hmm. and there's a there's a line in First Timothy where Paul says, "Here's a trustworthy saying that Christ died to save sinners, of whom I am the worst." Mm-hmm. And so we took this one hour bunny trail through the Book of Acts, finding why Paul would call himself the worst, and we find out that Paul was a Pharisee. Paul was a learned. Pharisee. That's the worst kind, yeah. <laughs> right? He's a religious man. He was all about the rules. Yeah. Paul was the biggest legalist you can imagine, and he was pretty close to like keeping all the rules perfectly. Yeah. That's what motivated him to be a part of the stoning of Stephen, to be a persecutor of Christians. That's how legalistic yeah. he was. So imagine the worst legalist that you could ever imagine that's all about the rules and, and, and his self-righteousness, and, and it's all about checking all the boxes. And look who's talking about grace. Yeah. He preaches more about grace than any of the other apostles. And so to me, that's just an interesting paradox. 
you know, because he calls himself a Pharisee among Pharisee, a Jew among Jews. I was a learned man. I followed all the rules. And now he's the one, you know, using grace like a big stick. Yeah. <laughs> and he's saying, hey, my child, be strengthened by this grace. Instead of finding the grace in or, or strength in his performance, yeah. now he's exhorting us. No, no, no. Your only strength is in God's grace, is in the grace of Jesus Christ. Yeah. This is the same guy who said, all of my righteousness is like filthy rags mm. compared to the unsurpassing, uh, uh, or, you know, it doesn't even compare right. to knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. You so know? as you look at that and you think through that kind of, when you look at the life of Paul and all these things that he's saying, I am the worst. of So it's almost like this is the spirit of God on display in his life. Yes. This is what happens when you allow the spirit to come and transform your heart, transform your mind. Romans 12 talks about being renewed daily, being transformed. And so you see kind of this, this shift in Paul. And I imagine that anybody that knew him before and after probably was like, that, that guy's really not – like you see a shift in his life. You see it in the way he operates and all these things. And I think that that's one thing that as you look at this title of what does it look like to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ or of Christ Jesus, it's has your heart really been transformed by the Spirit of God? And is there fruit from it? Because that's – I think it's very evident in Paul's writings and how he impacts people because he goes on preaching grace, even though it's probably something that in his flesh – I would imagine he doesn't always agree with. I imagine there was probably moments where Paul's like, can I just check the boxes? Yeah. Because that's who he was. Yeah. That was his nature. Yeah. But but with God's help, like you said, with the Holy Spirit on display in his life, he's not just preaching a good game. He's learning to live it. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you don't go through what he went through if you're not in tune with the Spirit of God. Absolutely. We can all learn something from that. It's like taking and looking back at like, okay, what in me— like kind of BC, AD, however you want to say it, right? But I know that there are tendencies that were in me before I was a Christian. Mm-hmm. And post that moment where I gave everything to Jesus, his spirit came and he dwelled within me. Those things still sneak out every now and then. Yeah. But I know that when those things sneak out, I'm very aware now to the fact that, oh, that's not the spirit of God. Right. Because that's how I used to be. That's how I used to live. That's how I used to talk. And so I think that those things as well, as you look at being aware to what's happening, operating within grace is understanding, okay, there's a difference in grace. And I think tolerating who you used to be because you're more comfortable with it, because it'd be really easy to say like, okay, I'm just going to give grace to myself, you know, like I'm just learning. And it's like, yes, but don't tolerate sin in your life. Right. Don't tolerate those things, but be gracious with the fact that you're still developing, you're still learning, you're, you're still doing fail. all those things. You're going to fall down. Absolutely. Pain pain and falling down, pain and mistakes mm-hmm. are the greatest teachers. Yeah. That's where experience comes yep. from. That's where wisdom comes absolutely. from. Absolutely. So I think that that's important too is knowing Paul knew who he used to who he was before and he knows who Christ says he is now. And mm-hmm. I love that when you look at it through that perspective it brings all new life to this verse that of it's no longer I who lives, but Christ. And I just think that that's just so like to die is gain to live. It's just, I mean, there's so much just tweetable stuff that tweetable or, you know, put it on a tattoo. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) But those of you into paint, right. We recommend Ram Lee. (laughs) So, but yeah, I love that piece that he starts this with you. Then my child be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me, and the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I love the what I read there is just this encouragement of, and don't keep this to yourself. 
right? Multiply it. Yeah, multiply. Multiply this. Got to go. It's time to roll. And I think that, and you see that through both passages in First and Second Timothy. But I love the confidence as well that you see in Paul that when he's operating in the Spirit, he can say confidently, "What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses is worth teaching to other people." I think so often we doubt ourselves and our ability to pour into other people's lives because all we think about is who we used to be, and we don't trust the transforming power of the Spirit of God to communicate through us. And I think that there's a, there's a spiritual Holy Spirit confidence that you see in Paul when he says that, of, you've heard this from me and the many witnesses, and trust it to other people. Don't keep it for yourself. But this is where we're going, and this is what you need to be teaching. But I love because so many people are like, man, Paul was arrogant. Like he's always like, te-, but I think it's just this confidence in who the Spirit is, and I just love that about him. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. There's there there is confidence. There's also an urgency. Yeah. To this multiplication, um, I love the fact that he says, "Look, you you need to entrust this to faithful men." Now we know he means faithful persons, right? But specifically at our church. We have a habit. I don't know if you've noticed, but we go after men. Yeah. And a lot of men kind of want to get out of this because men by nature, our sin nature, we're like our first father, and our sin nature is to be passive and to not take responsibility. Uh, you know, that was the whole thing with Adam is he, you know, he stood and watched while uh, Eve had the conversation with the serpent. He stood and watched while she uh, uh, ate of the apple, and then he had some too. And then when God shows up, he blames her and blames the and God. He says that woman that you gave me, that's why I was hiding in the bushes. And so men by nature, we need to understand our nature is we don't want to be faithful and and we don't want to have to teach anybody. We really just want to stay home and watch the game or we want to stay home and play video games. You know, we'll get out of I mean that's that's who that's where we tend to go yeah. as men. Yep. But when God gets a hold of a life or when a man decides that he's going to reject passivity and take responsibility, these are the types of men that Paul wants Timothy to find because he says, entrust this message, entrust everything I've taught you, this gospel, all the stuff about grace, my testimony, your testimony, entrust it to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So if we take that multiplication principle right there. Mm-hmm. This is how the gospel spread for 2,000 years, is you train men and invest and disciple in men who can train men, who can train men, who can train men. And when any man or any woman, for that matter, because it says in Titus, I don't don't know, you know, we're not going to jump into Titus right now, but Titus talks about the same thing. It says older women should train the younger women. Older men should train the younger men. When, When we don't do that, when it when it stops with us that multiplication there's a bigger impact than just on our lives personally there's yeah. an impact for generations Absolutely. it could be you know yeah. so no for sure that's so good because i think like me specifically my burden at this season and this time in my life and i think for the rest of my life and is this burden to equip the next generation to see the ministry continue because if we don't pass it down to them it dies with us right and i think that there's so many people that and it's not i think it just comes from a space of not feeling like they have anything to pass on but there's so much wisdom and experience just in living for longer time than other people and so i think being confident that you've been entrusted something when you've been a Christian, when you accept christ you've been entrusted with this message of the gospel and if you're not passing it on who will yeah because if i mean what does it say in romans how can they 
how can they know if no one teaches them? That's right. And I think that that's such a key piece to understand is you have something worth sharing. It's not about you. Because so often when we don't pass things on, it's because we've allowed it to become about us. But when I just look at the gospel through the lens of the story of God redeeming the earth, sending his son to die on the cross, I don't need to worry about the Britain show in the midst of that. Mm. I have a message that's worth passing on just right there. And so I think that's so important because I, I, I say this anywhere I go across the country. I say it on the stages here at the Tabernacle. I say it to our students. I believe in my heart of hearts that this next generation will be the one that sees the world one for Christ mm. with the way technology is advancing, their burden to see people loved. Why, I mean, why are movements like the LBGTQ plus community moving like they are? These other all these social justice movements that are happening is because they want people to experience love. But no one's teaching them what love is. What real love is, yeah. We're, we're yeah. teaching this love of tolerance rather than this love of grace and mercy and justice. And if the adults, if we would step up to teach true, genuine love to the next generation, we see it all over the country in the news. They're ready to spread it. They're ready to take it. So it's a, it's a generation. Statistics show that 98% of Gen Z want to be a part of something that changes somebody's life. If we don't pass it on, we're we're doing a disservice yeah. to ourselves and to the gospel that we've given our lives to because the next generation is raring and ready to be entrusted with something to move. Man, you're getting me fired up right <laughs> over here. So so here's a here's a question. Because this is uh and this is an honest question. I'm this yeah. isn't set up, we didn't talk about this. You're an anomaly to me because you've been a Christian how long? Um it'll be four years in August. So you've been a Christian a grand total of almost four years. Yeah. Life completely surrendered to Jesus. Right. Four years. Right. And you're preaching. Mm. I've got people I know in our church that have been walking with Jesus for decades, but they're they're not teaching anybody. How do we get them to be an anomaly? <laughs> because I don't believe, Britain, and, and those listening— I don't believe this in trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I don't believe Paul was saying, hey, Timothy, this is just so you can raise up a pastoral staff for your little tabernacle there in Ephesus. Yeah. It's not just for full-time ministry people. He's talking about men and women passing on what they know to other people. How do we get people to do that or I to think, believe that, that that's for them? Yeah, I think, one, we have to understand it's not a gifting issue. It's not that, well, I don't have the gift. It's, it's, it strictly comes down to the fact of, have you given your yes to Jesus? Because I know for me, and this isn't about me, but four years ago, I took an account of my whole entire life and everything I had done up to that point, and I had nothing to show for the past 21 years. I had li- absolutely nothing to show for it besides some screws and different parts of my body. <laughs> and nothing to show for it. And I remember all my face, balling my eyes out at the coffee shop and just thinking, if I do anything with the rest of my life, I just want to know that I made a difference somewhere. And for me, that was Christianity. And I'm a part of that generation that is 98%. I'm a part of Gen Z, and I am bought into this thing of I've seen it for so long growing up, this division that happens in our mm-hmm. country and in our world. I grew up in a southern state where division is clear just mm-hmm. in my own neighborhood. And I think I've seen it for so long, and I finally studied and experienced a love through people that for me it was just Jesus you have my yes and I don't think it's gifting because that's what I I mean there's there's plenty of other people in our church that are much more gifted than I'll ever be but I think it simply just comes down to the fact of have you said yes 
See, Britton Bishop is a steely-eyed preacher already, and I'm calling it right now. He is going to be a massive preacher in the decades to come that I will probably uh, not even hold a candle to. You are a quote machine. So this is what I just wrote down. You have my yes. And so if you're wondering how it is that you can live this out, what's it say? What's it mean? What's it mean for you? You can be a faithful man or a faithful woman, a faithful student who's able to teach others also just by doing it, just by giving God your yes. It's not whether you can teach or preach or you have the gift. Whatever it is that you have, share it with someone. Absolutely. I, I'm a big believer that it's important to always have someone who's discipling you. Mm-hmm. You can call it mentor. You yeah. can call it pouring Apprenticeship. in. Yeah, yeah. apprentice, whatever. Okay. Yeah. But you always find someone that's, that, that is discipling you. But as a Christian, you should always find someone that you are discipling mm. all the time. And that's for all of us. That's how the machine grows. That's how we multiply. That's how we take over the world. Yeah. And I think it's multiplication and as well, it's multiplying in you because the minute I'm allowing myself to be poured into, it's because I would consider you and Pastor Tim and and Pastor Ben and Pastor Seth and Pastor Martin men that directly are pouring into my life every time I get a chance to pick you guys' brain or anything I do. But what a disservice it would be for me to spend that time in those rooms with you guys and then keep it to myself. Mm. But also how much more I grow when I directly go apply it and try to teach it to somebody else. Yep. Right? Because you now, always learn more when you're teaching. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I think, yeah, that's that's a key piece to hear is find strength and grace, say yes. Because the message isn't about you. It's about the generations to come. And it's about God's glory being shown in those generations. Because what is this? I mean, is it one of the Gospels, Matthew 24, when this gospel of the kingdom is preached to all nations, to all nations. then the end will come. Yeah. Seems pretty simple to me, right? Pretty simple. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> you know, even going back to what you were saying about Gen Z, uh, because I don't think it's just unique to Gen Z, but I think you're right. Specifically to Gen Z, they're desperate for purpose. Yeah. But it was the generation before that had to endure all the purpose-driven this, purpose-driven right. that, the bestsellers, <laughs> churches were purpose-driven, purpose, purpose. I was tired of purpose. I wanted to right. see a porpoise. I was, you know, with my kids at the beach. I wasn't right. – because the purpose has always been the same thing, world domination. Absolutely. That's what it's about. Yeah. You know, we're not here to take over Buckley. We're not here to take over Manistee. We're here to take over the world. Right. And and, and so get a hold of Tell that, that story. purpose. That's my favorite story you've ever told me. Which one? The Whenever moving into Buckley. Oh, yeah. When we moved into Buckley, you know, the church was growing, the student ministry was growing, and we were getting involved in the community. And people in the community were like, man, they're trying to take over Buckley. They're going to take over the school. And I was like, no, 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 man. We're not trying to take over the school. We're not trying to take over this town. We're trying to take over the world. <laughs> then it was it. like, oh, okay. okay we got it. bigger fish to fry. Yeah. But that's... That's what the saving message of the gospel of the love and grace of Jesus Christ. Absolutely. And Paul here is the mentor. He's the discipler yep. who discipled Timothy, and he's telling him, I need you to disciple others who will disciple others. Yep. I mentored you. I need you to mentor these guys who will mentor others. Yeah. I don't want to be a spiritual dead end. Right. And I think for any Christian who understands the gospel we're saying don't be a spiritual dead end. Yeah. And the only way to do that is give your 
Unqualified, Absolutely. yes. Absolutely. Give him your yes. I love that phrasing of I don't want to be a spiritual dead end. You see, JV, you're, I got the mm, quote got machine couple, characteristics yeah. Yeah, you, from you. So, yeah, okay. Well, uh, you just got me fired up here. But so. I love um, this next piece because you just you just hinted to it. It said, we're not here to take over just a town. We're here to take over the world. And we just talked about it last weekend. It's offense. We got to get on offense. And you see it right here. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. It's time to get on offense. Yeah, You're a soldier. We're taking the fight to them, right? We're not going to sit back and let – because I, I love the idea of a church being a hospital for sinners. I love the concept of all of that, but it can't just be that. It can't just be that. It can't just be a place where people, hey, if you come to us, we will pour into you. We got to take the message outside. It's, I mean, Pastor Tim says it. You say it. We gather so we can scatter. Right. And so it's like, where can we go into the workplace or the practice field or the, the bar, school, the school, or, or the bar? Yeah. yeah. I mean, where, where your everyday places where you're rubbing shoulders with people, and how can you be a good soldier? But I don't want to skip over the first thing that he says in that verse: share in suffering. Share in the suffering. This is going to hurt. So for you, like you just said, this is going to hurt. Knowing that, what drives you to be okay with that? Well, there's a man that discipled me, and you know who he is. I mean, I I would consider him, even to this day, he disciples. He talks about the fact that uh, passion is the measure in which – or how much you love something and the measure in which you're willing to suffer for it. So if you love your country, you are willing to uh, suffer for your country. If you love um, a sport, you are willing to suffer in order uh, to participate in that sport or if it's something you want to watch or whatever it is that you're passionate about. Um, I've seen the most undisciplined men uh, love hunting so much that during a couple weeks in fall, they get super di- crack of dawn. They oh, got yeah. the coffee. They've put out the food plots. You know, they'll cover themselves in deer urine. You know, they become yeah. they become good soldiers yeah. that are willing to suffer in order to get the prize, right? Especially in northern Michigan. <laughs> it's, it's cold. It is cold, <laughs> right? And so that that suffering piece— How much do you love Christ? Mm. You know, it's the same thing that Jesus was asking Peter the last time we cracked open God's word together when he was like, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? It's because you're going to suffer for me. Paul here, you know, I was just thinking, um, when Paul first became a Christian, uh, just a quick rewind, we find out in the book of Acts, it's right around chapter 8 and chapter 9, where uh, Paul is on the way to Damascus to persecute Christians. There's a bright shining light from heaven. Saul, Saul, because that was his name before yeah. God changed it to Paul. Saul, why are you persecuting me? And um, and he said, who you know, who are you? And he says, I am Christ Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Yeah. Saul goes blind. He goes the rest of the way to Damascus. The Spirit of God calls a disciple to be Paul's first discipler, a guy named Ananias. Mm-hmm. And he says, I need you to go to House on Straight Street. That's where Saul is. And you need to lay hands on him and pray so he can receive his sight. And he's like, I don't want to go there because I've heard about this guy. Right. You know, he's killing Christians. He's a spiritual terrorist. He's throwing Christians in jail. And God says to Ananias, I need you to go there. 
I will show him how much he will suffer for me. From the very beginning of Paul's ministry, God said, okay, you're going to serve me. You're going to be an apostle. We know Paul is like a super apostle. He wrote most of the New Testament. He planted all these churches, all these missionary journeys. He discipled all these men, led all these people to Christ. Wherever he goes, he's starting a revival or a riot. But from the very beginning of his ministry, God says to him, this is going to hurt. Yeah. This is going to cost you. You're yeah. going to suffer for me. Yeah. And we see how much he did suffer. Right. Why is it that we, like to me, this is the bigger question. <laughs> we live in a culture, in a day and age, we don't want to suffer at all. Oh, absolutely not. Out of fear of suffering, we shut the nation down. Yeah. I'm not trying to be political. Right. But we just didn't want people to get sick and die. Mm-hmm. The fact is the vast majority of people that got the COVID thing didn't die, but they got sick. But just to avoid the sickness and the suffering and the die, we closed a whole country down. Yeah. That's just a little piece of, you know, we like easy chairs. We like, you know, uh, uh, what's the little thing with all these little, I don't even know what they're called, where people just talk to somebody and, uh, you know, the stereo changes the channel. Oh, right. Siri. Siri. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We love our comfort. Suffering is. Comfort and convenience. Yeah. It's the opposite of what we want. Yeah. Yeah, If you're going to follow Christ right there, there's a verse. Verse three of Second Timothy chapter two. Share in suffering yeah share in suffering yeah and and i think too the, the i think the reason we are such a american dream driven comfort convenience it's about me right it's i mean you see it in the movements that are launching it's your truth it's about mm-hmm. you right and i think that if there's one thing you can pull out of scripture it's the simple fact that it's not about me yeah and i think you see it with paul's life because there was a time where I think that within the midst of all that persecution, the Pharisees were scared of something. They were fearful of losing control. Hmm. Religion is control. Yeah. It's if I can follow That's these right. rules, I can control this God, and he, my obedience will equal his obligation, as Foster said. And I think that when you settle into the fact that this is going to hurt, and it might be inconvenient, and I can't control what's going to happen, but does he have my yes? In the midst of losing control of it all, Am I willing to relinquish control to the ultimate? Hmm. Because that's the whole piece is if we'll just give the control to God, will it hurt? Maybe. Will it be inconvenient? Probably. But will it be worth it? Hmm. Absolutely. I mean, you can find the saltiest of saints. That I mean, the woman that just passed away hmm. um, that you talked about in our intimacy one that was being hacked with a machete that didn't yep. leave and kept going. Right. And was sharing and suffering. And I think that if you could go back and ask that question, was it worth it to you? Absolutely. And, and you know, I think people oh, okay, so we're not sadistic. Right. But we have been sold a bill of goods. In mm-hmm. the twentieth century, the church became very much how the gospel can fix everything and make you comfortable. Yep. If you follow these principles, your money's going to work out. Yep. Follow these principles, your marriage is going to work out. You follow these principles, your kids aren't going to get screwed up or mm-hmm. screw up their lives, or you know. And and we really have sold a false gospel. Oh, absolutely. Jesus said, "They hated me; they will hate you too." Jesus said, "In this life, you will have suffering." Right. Uh, it says, I think Peter says this, and I, I might totally mess this up, and, and, and if you're, you know, you can look it up. You can Google right. it. Yeah. But it says, anyone who wants 
to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Hmm. So in order to really follow, you know, I asked a church one time and, you know, I had some people check me. They didn't really like this. But I said to them, if you're not suffering or have not suffered at all, you might want to ask yourself if you're really following Jesus. Mm. I mean, you might want to consider that. Yeah. Now, I think it's true that if you're going to follow, if it hasn't cost you anything, why would Jesus say to the rich young ruler, go sell everything you have and then follow me? Because the rich young ruler was hanging on to that one thing. He wasn't willing to, as you say, give him all of his yes. Yeah. And Jesus knew that. Yep. So I wonder if someone is just, if it's just been, as we like to say, rainbows and unicorns for you, and you've never suffered, maybe you're not following Jesus as closely as you thought. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you see it in scripture. Uh, Jesus talks about, he literally turns around to the masses and tells them, this will cost you everything. Yeah. Before you jump in on this movement mentality, this will cost you everything. And I don't think he was trying to discourage them from joining. I think there's one thing we can understand is he's not going to surprise us with suffering. He promised it to us. Right. So I think the minute we stop letting ourselves be surprised by it and detoured by it, but rather buy into the vision of, at all costs, you'll be glorified. Right. Jesus set the tone. Yes. At all costs, you'll be glorified in the garden, sweat and blood. The disciple, I mean, he's by himself. Yeah. Father, if there's any other way, that's that that that's not somebody that's, I mean, I don't want to say this wrongly, but that's not a, all right, I'm ready to roll. Yeah. If there's any other way, but your will, not mine. Right. So let's do this. Yeah. It's an at all costs. And I think that that's where we have to get to is to share in suffering. We have to understand that as free of a gift that is grace, that is faith, that is the grace that saves us. Ephesians lays it out clearly. It is free, but it will cost you everything. Yeah. And, you know, Britain, there's there's something in human nature that is not built for pure comfort, yeah. at least in a fallen world. Yeah. And it's interesting. I, as, as you were talking, I was thinking about, like, like, the U.S. military right now, one of their biggest recruiting fra- phrases that, you know, I'll see in a commercial or I'll read about or whatever, um, you'll hear presidents talk about this, is deep inside of us, there's a desire to live for a purpose greater than ourselves. Yes. And so 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 why do people make great sacrifices? Why do to use Paul's words here? Why do soldiers endure suffering? It's for a cause greater than themselves. Now, you know, I'm thinking right now of uh of two movies. One that was before you were born, right? Stripes. And it, it's a movie with uh, with Bill Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd, and it's a stupid movie. I'm not recommending the movie, but it's a funny movie, and it starts with two middle aged guys that have no purpose. They have no purpose, you know. They just party and they have dead end jobs, and they're single, and they want to be a part of something greater than themselves. And so, kind of on a dare, they join the military, and of course, the rest of the movie is how they don't fit. But still, even in these jokers. Right. There was the desire to live for something bigger than themselves. Right. The second one is what our men's Bible studies are named for the movie Fight Club. Again, it's two guys that are so comfortable in life. They don't feel anything. They go and beat the snot out of each other in these illegal underground fight clubs that you're not supposed to talk about just to feel something. And so to me, it's like this this pursuit of comfort and convenience at all costs. We think that that is the life we want, but it's, it's a lie not. from the pit of hell. I think we are built 
with a desire deep down inside of us to want to give ourselves away. Absolutely. And that is the suffering of a good soldier. Yeah. And I think that 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 the buy into comfort is one that the enemy has monopolized in our culture. Yes. That's why we have microwaves. That's why we have Netflix now, because commercials were too inconvenient for me and my TV shows. <laughs> and I can't be bothered to drive to the theater. I right. want to just sit here in my jammies. Yeah. And it's like the, that's one thing we have allowed um, the enemy to do that we're actively, like you said, we're in a war. And comfort has been monopolized and we've bought into this that if it's not comfortable, it's not worth it. Right? If it's going to cost me anything, I won't do it. I don't even want to go through the drive-thru anymore. I want somebody to deliver it to my door. Uber Eats. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. And so, and I do that. So, I mean, obviously. <laughs> yeah. No yeah, judgment yeah, here. But We're just I saying. I think that when you allow comfort to drive your faith in Christ, that's where you find yourself feeling empty, worthless, with no purpose, no identity, struggling to know who I am. And it's because you've gotten so comfortable that Christ can't exist in that space hmm. because he was one that didn't seek comfort. But let me tell you. Go get uncomfortable for a minute. Go get uncomfortable for the gospel. Go talk to that coworker that's in the cubicle across from you. Go pour into that student in the student ministry. Volunteer at a ministry at your local church, whether it's the tabernacle or not. Go do something uncomfortable out of your comfort zone for Jesus and watch how much you feel him in that moment. Yeah. And I yeah. think that that's the piece is it's not, it's not that comfort is bad. It's that when it's all you do— I don't think that that's a place that Christ really exists in. And he, and he tells us to rest, and he doesn't call us to just, I mean, there's obviously yeah, wisdom. Yeah, just to yeah, beat ourselves to death. Comfort is a place that I can control. Hmm. Discomfort is a place that I can control. And when I find myself in places and spaces that I can't control, it increases my dependence on Christ. And the more I have to depend, the more I have to spend time in Scripture because that will run out. Yeah. But I can read my Bible once a week. And be comfortable and still show up on Sunday and know what to say. But if I only read my Bible once a week and I'm uncomfortable for seven days, I'm not going to have any gas by Sunday. That's right. And so the more uncomfortable you get, the more you depend on Christ and the more you have to because the outpour continues. And I think that that next piece is where he says, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Yeah. That's so good. Isn't that a good verse, that's, man? That's so yeah. good. And I've I've used that ad nauseum this past year as we watch so many, so many Christians, so many Christians in our church. Uh, all they want to talk about is the election. Mm-hmm. All they want to talk about is the future of this country. All they want to talk about is the handling of the pandemic by the governor. Here we are in the People's Republic of Michigan. I love to talk about that. But when we get entangled in in that. As you said before, our eyes are no longer fixed on Jesus. Absolutely not. And we're distracted by the stupidest things that don't matter, that won't last. Yeah. So this and, – and, and there can be some confusion. There's a teaching piece here. Some people have, have actually taken this to mean that Christians shouldn't be involved in the public square. No, that is not what it means. We need Christians – in the Congress, we need Christians to be the mayor and the dog catcher and run for president and be, you know, policemen and, and, and be involved in civic things. Christians should do their civic duty and vote and, and understand the times and understand politics. And all, absolutely, he's not saying that we can't be involved in worldly affairs. What he's saying is 
while you're involved in politics, while you're doing your job, while you're going to school, uh, while you're a student athlete and you're on the court or on the field, um, while you're a mom with your friend groups, wherever you are, don't forget you're a soldier. Mm. And sometimes you're an undercover soldier, but you are a soldier of the cross, a soldier of the king, a soldier of the kingdom. So he's talking about our minds and our hearts not being so distracted by other things other than what's most important. Yeah, that's so good. And we take the gospel to those places. So Yeah, absolutely. And I'm not even going to try to do the disservice of adding to that. I think that that is, that's so key to the fact. That I think the key phrasing there is the word entangled. Yeah. That's a, that's a, fr- oh, that's that's a, good. That's yeah. a verbiage that hints towards entrapment. Don't become consumed by, right? Have you ever walked through a spider web? It's the most yeah. miserable experience of your life. You can't get it off you soon enough. But I think that, that that's this entrapment piece. That's the goal of the web is to get something stuck in the midst of it yeah, so that it can then be consumed. If you allow yourself to get stuck in those places, you will find yourself getting consumed by the world. Hmm. And as you find yourself consumed by the world, you're going to find that it's even harder and harder to pull your eyes back to Christ. And so I think that, that that's a key word that I find in that text is, don't get entangled in, in civilian, civilian pursuits. pursuits. And then, the, I mean, if you look at the phrase right after this, again, this is all in the context of being a good soldier. When I think of soldier, I think of honor, duty, courage. Yeah. You're going to need all these things in following Christ. You're going to need all these things, you know, to a certain degree, it's our duty. I mean, people don't like that word because like, no, we want it all out of love. Well, yeah, if you love something, then you have a duty to that thing. So I love my wife. There's a duty that I have to fulfill to my wife to be her protector, to be her husband, to care for her, to honor her, to even if she's not in the room, I have a duty to my wife. It's the same thing to Christ. So if I'm going to be a good soldier and I'm going to share in suffering, there's duty. It's going to take courage. And like you said, I'm not going to get entangled in civilian pursuits. And here's my aim. To please the one who enlisted him. Hmm. So I wonder if, if because of what it says there, it, when my aim is no longer to please the king, hmm. when my aim is to please myself, when my aim is to please something or someone else, I wonder if that's where the entanglement comes. Yeah. That's when I get off track. Yep. And that all comes back to the simple fact that it's became about me. Yeah, there you, go. you know, and I think that, but I think too, John, um, I would ask the question that as we look at that, because I think at times there are people that think they are aiming at something that will please, that they want, that they've given so much of their time and life to this selling out for seeing this political agenda being pushed because they think it's one that pleases God. Right. But in the midst of it, they lose sight of the actual mission. And so I think, like, I think there's a lot of people that, that's a great point, man. That slip into, but I'm doing it for God. Yeah. I want to see our country be one that is one that is one nation under God. But they, at times, I think they lose their witness in the midst of it. They lose yeah. their ability to point people to Jesus. And so how would you speak to that? I don't know. That's just a question that I have no answer to. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's an excellent point. I didn't even think about it from that angle. But as the little history teacher in me, whenever you see... Christianity become the dominant faith in a nation where it's mandated from government, that begins the downfall of that nation. We can't mandate anything. We receive salvation by grace through faith, and we don't forget that people are free agents. And so back to what you were saying, when I'm all about the 
the political agenda. Yeah. When I'm all about the, you know what, we should make a law that everyone's got to go to church. That's the dumbest thing you could ever do. You don't do that. Yeah. You're forcing you're forcing an agenda. You're not showing them and leading them to a relationship in Christ. Yep. So, you know, we talk about the greatest gift you can give the world is your personal intimacy with God. When you're intimate with God, when you're, you know, we've been on this theme of drawing near to God and he'll draw near to you. When you're in this intimate place of drawing near, now you can get in whatever political fight that God's called you to be a part of. But you're not running the risk of losing sight of the people around you or even the fact that the people on the other side of your political aisle, they're not the enemy. Yeah. They're people whom God loves and whom Christ died. died. Yeah. Yeah, For For whom whom Christ Christ died. died. I think that's so good. And I think, too, um, when you find yourself slipping into those places of agenda, 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 it begins to shape the way you read scripture and you begin to contort your view of God to what you want him to be. Yeah. And I think that's a dangerous space to slip into as well. Um, but these next two are cool because I think that he kind of lays it out there in three different um, perspectives of what this being strengthened by grace in Christ Jesus. These are kind of three things that you're going to do to see this continue on to being a quote unquote good soldier. In uh, verse five, it says, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So that entails there is some commandments mm-hmm. that if we want to be a part of this movement that we need to make sure we're keeping. Yeah. And that it's not just a freestyle uh, fight in the middle of the street, no rules applied, but that there's... Uh, I'm losing the word. Jump yeah. in. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> we're humans. No, no, yeah. <laughs> so I think so he starts with be a good soldier, mm-hmm. shares in suffering. Athletes suffer too, but it's a slightly different perspective, is I think where you're going with that. Yeah. So so you don't just show up, or it's rare for an athlete just to show up and perfectly know the rules of the game. He knows all the techniques of whether it's being a lineman, being a soccer player, being a baseball player. Uh, America's pastime, (laughs) running track, throwing a shot put, whatever it is, there's techniques, there's training, there's discipline. And so right there for the people that it's like, oh, man, it's just me and Jesus, just this love relationship. I just want to have singlings all the time, and I don't want to ever have to read the Bible or memorize anything or learn. Again, we're chasing comfort and convenience. You're going to show up on game day. And you don't know the game. Right. You don't know how to dribble the basketball. You don't know how to shoot the soccer ball. You don't know how to catch the football. You don't know how to throw the shot put or run the race. You haven't trained. Your diet's all out. You know, it's yeah. all of the things that you and I know as coaches and athletes that right. go into making an athlete. Right here, he's saying an athlete doesn't win a prize. He is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It's not just the laws of the game. Right. It's the laws of being a good athlete. Yeah. So there's a discipline. What? I thought I was just, you know, this is just this little relationship with Jesus, and he's just my my buddy. He's my co-pilot. Uh-uh. Yeah. Paul is saying right here, discipline yourself. Yeah. A soldier's got to be disciplined, you know, and we see the warfare metaphor all throughout Scripture. But he also says, hey, try this one on for size. Just yep. like you guys watch those dudes compete in the Coliseum. Yeah. Mm, that's what you got to be, too. Yeah. Like an athlete. And we have so many Christians that can't even discipline themselves to read their Bible because they can't even find their Bible, right? right? <laughs> you know, it's like 
And, and here's Paul saying, no, I, I want you to be a competitor. Not yeah. that we're competing against someone else. Yeah. You compete for yourself Absolutely. to be the best disciple that you can possibly be. Yeah. And, it I takes think, discipline. and I think as well, the discipline piece is, one, it's in the word of disciple. So, but I won't go into that whole dive of the youth Good ministry point. message. Yeah, but yeah. it's in the word. But as well, Jesus speaks to it directly. But he says, they will know you're my disciples by how you keep my commandments. How do you know his commandments? Discipline yourself to spend time close to him. And mm. it's not just read your Bible more. It's spend more time in his word. Spend more time being discipled by his people. Spend more time taking that, applying it, and pouring it into other people's lives. But how are you maintaining the discipline of being a disciple? Yeah. Because I think the more time you spend doing it, the more natural it becomes. And that, I mean, you see it with sports. You see it with, I mean, Michael Jordan, right? The dude hasn't always been the machine that he was growing up. Was he absolutely naturally gifted by God to be the greatest basketball player of all time? Yes. yes. All right. Calm down, people that think LeBron is. No. No. MJ. Yeah. Yep. But <laughs> he had to work. And you see it. If you watch the Last Dance documentary, he worked harder than anyone else on that team. And I love, I mean, I saw a video the other day of he looks at Matumbo during a game shooting a free throw, closes his eyes, shoots the free throw. Perfect shot. Another net. Yep. That comes from time. That comes from knowing depth. That comes from knowing when I release the basketball. That comes from all this time spent in the grind. Yeah. And it's not a work harder so you can be better. But it is a work harder so you can be better. It is, yeah. And so, but, I love how you just said yeah. that. It's not work harder so that you'll be more loved and accepted. Yeah. But it is work harder so that you'll be a better athlete. Yeah. And we, I mean, we're desperate for this within the church. Absolutely. I love it. I love it when a guy shows up for Fight Club for the very first time, and he doesn't even have a Bible. Mm. And then, you know, you see him, if, if he'll just apply himself to the discipline of regular attendance. Yeah. All of a sudden, he's got a Bible at Fight Club. You know, it's a brand new one that he went and bought because he was tired of, you know, not being yeah. the guy with the, or, or being the guy that didn't have a Bible. Right. And then years later, seeing what that little discipline does, now that guy's stopping me you know, coming in and out or out of church or sending me a text or an email, he's got a deep theological question. This is somebody that went from a couch sitter yep. to a guy that wanted to get in the game. Yeah. And, and just like Paul says, you know, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Yeah. You're not going to be able to disciple your kid unless yep. or, or even expect your kid to be disciplined if there's no discipline in your life. Absolutely. How can you? You know, you yeah. know, I mean, you said a few minutes ago, how can you uh, or how will they know if they don't have someone to teach them? Exactly. Oh, well, Britton will do it. He's their youth pastor. Right. No, you're their first pastor, yep. mom. Yeah. You're their first pastor, dad. You got to have some discipline. And I think I can think of people that have that specific fire in their gut in our own church. And I don't need to shout them out because they know who they are and their head's already big enough. But I mean, the, one of the people that lead a ministry mm-hmm. at our church started because he came and sat in an uncomfortable space yeah, where he didn't want to be. And he stayed for a long time and he asked the questions and it hurt. And there was a lot of tears and there was a lot of pain. And, but he kept chipping away and he kept asking the questions and then, okay, I've been entrusted this. I'm going to start a group where I can entrust it to somebody else. And I'm going to pour into this group. And I'm going to pour into this group. And I'm going to pour into this group while I'm still being poured into and showing up and digging That's in cool. and asking the questions. Now, he's one of the most trusted people in my life hmm. because of nothing else than the fact that he was willing to show up and do the work. 
And when you honor the process, God shows up big time. Yeah. But I think too often we come back to that convenience piece of if I say the prayer, I don't want to go through the process. Yeah. I want to be on the team, but I don't want to go to practice. I don't want to go to practice. Right. I want to win the championship, but I don't want to do the extra weight sessions. Right. We're people of process. Hmm. Our whole life is process. And when we just learn to embrace process, God blesses that. I believe that wholeheartedly that he blesses people that are willing to go through the process, that are willing to dig in and do the work. And now I had a conversation with this individual the other day, and the words that came out of his mouth were, I love it so much. It's all I want to do. It's all I want to do. It's all I think about. Preaching God's word. And it comes from process. Yeah, because I don't, I don't, I didn't know when it started, but I can't imagine that that was the most comfortable space to step into, opening God's word and presenting it to people. But he's good at it. Yeah, and 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 he's been on the speed track because yeah. I know who you're talking about. I think. Yeah, he's been on the speed track. I mean, if you think about the public education system in this country, has our kids has had my kids, each one of them, or some of them aren't finished yet. Twelve years. Yeah. Twelve years before. We think you have enough to go to college yep. or to learn a trade or join the military. So you got 12 years just to get base, the yep. baseline. That takes discipline. That takes showing up. Even if you're not a good athlete, yep. you show up and some people are the valedictorian and some people are the salutatorian and some people are the thank you, Lordy. Just yeah. give me the paper, <laughs> you know, and some get the GED. Yep. But it all takes a certain measure of discipline just yep. to get through high school, you yep. know, all the way from. And so. How much more important is this that Paul's talking about? Be a good athlete and discipline yourself. You got to suit up. You got to show up. And it's day in. I, I love what you, how you called it. It's the grind. Yeah. Sometimes with church, with the Christian life, we're just doing our duty. Sometimes yeah. it is the grind. Yeah. But anything worth having takes that kind of sacrifice. A soldier sacrifices. A good athlete sacrifices. Yep. You got to have them both. Yep. And, and if, you're, if you're pursuing self, comfort, convenience, you'll never have it. Yeah. And I think like I'm uh, have been studying this lately, but this breakdown of what is true love, right? Because so often in our culture, we've decided love is the way I feel about something. Mm. But I think that when you look at love with a holistic view, love starts at your mind, it moves to your soul, and it shows in your actions. And it's not one or the other. If I love something, I love it with all of it. Or none of it. Yeah. Because it's probably not true love. But as you look at love and the love of Christ starting in my mind, it's understanding what he's calling me to. It's keeping his commandments. That's a part of love. Mm. And as I continue to spend time in his word learning these things, I find a fire in my gut. Because you love him more. Because exactly. Yeah. The more yeah. time you spend, it's time, right? You can spell love T-I-M-E, right? <laughs> You're welcome, Hallmark Channel. Um, but, but it's time. Somebody and, was bored during quarantine. <laughs> and you feel this burning in your gut for this thing. Yeah. And as that burning in your gut develops and I begin to understand what I do with that passion, now it comes out in my will and it comes out in my action and it comes out in the choices I make. And it's not one or the other, mm-hmm. but it's all of the above. And that's passion. Yeah. That's what I was I, I was mangling that early on. It's that much love, you, that much passion, you're willing to suffer. Yes. Because the word passion literally means to suffer. Mm. 
It literally means, or, the, or that's the etymology of the word, yeah. right? So it's so like like a couple of uh, uh, weeks ago, I think I told you this story. Uh, all the girls in my house were out of town. It's me and my son, and we're going to be home by ourselves on a Friday. And I asked him on Thursday, on Thursday night, I said, Benjamin, uh, we're going to go out to eat tomorrow. Where do you want to eat? And he said, five guys. Well, anyone who knows anything about northern Michigan knows the closest five guys is in Gaylord, right? I know they – I know you're supposed to say Gaylord, but my son says Gaylord. So that's what we're going to call it, right? And so I said, son, you wanted to drive all the way to Gaylord to get a five guys. And he goes, yeah, can we do that? And I'm like, Absolutely. Because my son and I are passionate about cheeseburgers. Praise God. Praise God. (laughs) So I pick him up at 3.15 in the vehicle. We don't even go home. We drive one hour and 45 minutes to Gaylord, Michigan, to a five guys. He gets a triple. And the the store was open, so we were actually able to sit down Mm. and enjoy, right? That is, to a certain degree, that's right. suffering. Yeah. You know, you're going to drive that far just for a cheeseburger? You could have made one at home. No, not that one. Right. It's just different. Yeah. That's passion, right? Yeah. I wonder how hungry we really are for the things of God. Yeah. How hungry we are to multiply this message. How hungry we are to share the grace, you know, and, and it's it's measured in how far are you willing to go? Oh, you love Jesus? Prove it. Yeah. Not that you have to win it or earn it, but it's kind of like the proof is in the suffering. How much are you willing to suffer for it? And then I think as well, um, as we kind of wrap up, but this last verse and verse six that we're going to cover is, it is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Is it's not just this empty promise. It's not just this empty suffer, 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 do, 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 discipline, 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 and there's nothing that you get out of it, which would still be okay. It would still, it, I mean, Jesus is still worth all of that. Right, absolutely. Yeah. But, but, but there's a promise. Yeah. And God keeps his promises. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Yeah. It speaks for itself. He honors process. He honors hard work. Get after it and let him show you what actual blessing looks like. Because it's not your health. It's not your wealth. It's not any of that. Or maybe it is. I don't know. Nor do I really care. Yeah. But am I willing to put in the work with the trust that God's word never falls void? Right. That he told me, right, through Paul, through the spirit of God, that the hardworking farmer ought to have the first share of the crops. Yeah. And there... There's a beautiful picture there is is uh well there's two things I think of the farmers that I know. Right. If you know anything about farm life, those guys get up way before dawn and many times they're up working. I mean, how many times you drive by a field and you still see a combine nine o'clock at night, ten o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. And whether it's a dairy farm, whether it's a ranch, whether they're tending cattle or sheep or whatever, or it's a it it's corn or soy, they work so hard. That's the first thing I think of. Yeah. There's a discipline there. There's a suffering. Here's a, here's a second thing I think of is the farmer plays a long game. Mm. Not just the long game of, ooh, plant seeds now that I'm going to harvest in the fall, 
you know, they're flipping fields, you know, this field for so many years before I have to let this field. They play the longest long game of all time. Absolutely. That's why those farmers, you know, they're passing down these massive acreage of farms through generations. Yeah. They play the long game. But when it is come for harvest or when time comes for harvest, uh, yeah, there's a blessing. Mm-hmm. There's a reward for that. So if I think about that, that this diligence, this willing to play the long game, we want comfort and convenience and the third piece that we could add, and yeah. we want it right now. Yep. And the farmer, he doesn't play that game. He's got to wait. He's got to wait for that blessing. And I loved how you said that because I didn't see it until you said it, is that uh, the that there is a promise that's kind of folded in there that when 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 harvest time comes, I mean, our nation has built a national holiday after yeah. a massive feast that happens at harvest time. Right. It's called Thanksgiving. Yeah. And when that comes, I mean, who doesn't love, love a glorious God. Thanksgiving dinner, <laughs> right? My brother-in-law makes a prime rib that is just perfect. See, and that's the most Christian and thing I've ever heard. Prime, prime rib, rib over the, turkey. Exactly. Every time, man. <laughs> and I'll we have, don't want to hear your comments. I don't want to hear your comments. You know, if you're going to deep fry the turkey, maybe that'd be perfect. Right. A little green bean casserole, <laughs> little, what is this, a little pumpkin pie crumble or what? Not, not pumpkin. I'm anti-pumpkin pie. Sorry. I'm talking about sweet potato crumble, you oh, know, yeah. that's delicious. So, yeah. Jeez. But that's what the farmer gets for playing the long game. Yeah, exactly. And there's a quote that we've shared on here multiple times, but long obedience in the same direction produces much fruit. Yeah. And so the question isn't, well, the question is, are you willing to say yes? But the next question is, are you willing to keep saying yes? Because the more you say yes, the easier it gets to say yes. But the more you say no, the easier it gets to say no. Yeah. And so I think that that's a key thing is... What's God calling you to? And does he have your yes? Because at the same time, on the other end of the spectrum, what's God calling you to? And does he have your no? He's not moving on. Hmm. And if you just keep Mm -hmm. saying no, you're going to experience a fruitless relationship that leaves you empty, broken, and wondering, why am I even here? But the more you give him your yes, the more you find purpose and belonging and identity, not in what you do, but in who God is. I think that that's a huge piece as well. Oh, it is. And in, in the last verse there, there's another promise. You got me thinking about promises. It says, think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So many people, I think, people that at least that I talk to, they don't want to be a part of it because they're, they're frightened by everything that they don't know about the journey. Yeah. They're frightened by, oh, I don't know enough verses. I don't know if, uh, enough Bible. I tried to read it one time, and I can't figure it out. I just want to come on Sundays and listen to you guys talk about it because you're so smart and you're so funny, and I'll just let you guys spoon-feed me like a baby forever. Instead I got a of, 17 on the ACT. I'm not smarter than you, I promise. Pro, yeah, <laughs> it, it, but it's, it's, it's applying yourself to it. Right. And so we're so afraid about what we don't know. And of the unknown. Mm. But will it be too uncomfortable? Uh, do you remember that time when Jesus said that, or when the the Bible says that he, that he won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear? Yeah. He won't give you more than he can handle, yeah. right? So he says, think over what I say, and there's a beautiful promise here. The Lord will give you understanding in everything. Yeah. Whoa, you mean if that's a verse and that matters and there's no wasted words— He's saying, just take a step, Mm -hmm. the first step towards discipline, the first step towards discipleship, the first step, 
oh, I couldn't tell anybody what I know because I might mess it up. Just think about this stuff. The yeah. Lord was going to give you what you need to know. He'll yep. give you understanding in everything. Uh. And so, you know, what's that lame? You had a Hallmark moment. What's that <laughs> stupid thing about um, every or the longest journey begins with one step, you know, <laughs> or Neil Armstrong. One that actually is hanging up in John's man. office. <laughs> no, it's not. But it's true. Right. You know, the I mean, the first part of a running program is Forrest Gump. Just go. For yeah, I mean, run. Whether I ran the most disgusting thing you've ever seen is me trying to run a 5K. <laughs> but that 5K in Tulsa, Oklahoma, or the Olympic trials that just happened, both those started the same way. One step. Yeah. Now, what happened after that? I can't be held accountable for. But, yeah. Yeah. But to run the race, you got to start it. You got to start it. And I think that. On the other end of that as well, where you're talking about this understanding piece is what shaped, what shaped me and shifted in me with Scripture was when I first really started digging into Scripture, it was because I wanted to know answers. And I wasn't going to let people ask me questions I didn't know the answer to. And I found that falling void a lot mm-hmm. of the time. And then um, a mentor of mine sat me down one day as I'm frustrated and just getting angry with the Bible and getting angry with God of, I'm not smart enough. I'm not going to be able to do this. Why am I like, I can't, I don't know. And he said, Britton, the minute you stop reading the Bible and start letting the Bible read you, everything will change. Hmm. And I still don't know if I know what that means completely, but I know that I stopped getting in the Bible with my agenda. I started spending time in prayer before and then trusting the fact that God is the one that gives wisdom. God is the one that gives the gift of understanding. Hmm. Am I faithful to just keep showing up and trust that he's going to do the work? And he has. And so that kind of, I mean, yeah, that's that's a testimony in my life is I, I haven't spent all the time in the world in scripture, but I can say that there was a time in my life where I was very motivated by the fact of being impressive and I failed. And then there was a time in my life where I decided I just want to know what God says about me because mm-hmm. I feel like a failure and he redeemed and it that. all changed. Yeah. That's beautiful. And so, yeah. And I think too, don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to wrestle with God. Don't, he's not scared of that. And mm-hmm. so don't dig in for the fear of being wrong. I think the biggest mistake you can make in all of this is not starting. Yeah. And so coming out of the last episode of what do we do now and then transitioning into this episode, that is, what does it mean to be a good soldier? Because what do we do? Follow me. That's what Jesus said. And then when we start questioning it, and then Jesus, the greatest one-liner in Scripture, what does that mean? What is that to you? You follow me. You follow me. And then what does it look like to follow? Yeah. Yes. And so... Yeah. John, thank you for the time. Again, this is becoming, I love when people join us and tell us their stories because there's so much to learn from it, but I do love how Jesus um, shows up and tells us his stories. And I think that that's something that I'm really enjoying about this segment of the podcast as well. Um, Something that we are going to do at the end of this episode that'll be available in the show notes. And if you use the um, tab app, to you to view the episodes. I don't know if this link will show up or not. We're going to do our best to get in there, but if not, listen carefully. You can rewind. You can do all the stuff, but be looking out on our social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram, everywhere that we share these episodes out, we're going to share an email. And what I want you to do is just shoot an email to that, to the tabernacle podcast email questions that you want to see answered from the podcast. Oh yeah. And don't get offended if we never answer it. But if you get all your buddies together and your whole fight club table sends a question, we'll probably be obligated to answer it. 
But we're going to do that some Q&A be awesome. stuff. Because, Please send us your questions. Yeah. So Q&A send questions. Is the best, man. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you listen on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, there will be a link right down at the bottom that you can click on that will take you directly to that point where you can submit questions. So thank you guys so much, Tab Family, again, for tuning in. Don't forget, if you're listening on any platform, you figure out how to rate five stars. Even if you have to write it on a post-it note and give it to us five on the weekend. Stars. Five no, I'm stars. just kidding. You don't have to do that. But rate five stars. Make sure you're subscribing on whatever platform you listen to. And more importantly, make sure you're sharing these episodes with the people that matter to you. Good soldiers give five-star rating. Absolutely. As do a good athlete and <laughs> a farmer. Amen. Yeah. Praise God. <laughs> and delivering pies on Saturday nights to Buckley or delivering cinnamon rolls on Sunday mornings to Manistee. Oh. Probably. I can't ensure it for sure. Great but I Travis can say oh, all of the above. Anything with a crumble top. Yeah. I can ensure you that if you do that, I'll love you more. I can't I can't promise you what'll happen in the eternity piece, exactly. but I can promise you that I'll love you more. Oh, pies with crumble tops so. are outstanding. Hey, if you got a platform, you got a shameless plug sooner or later, right? Exactly. So this has worked out for us before in the future. It got us a bunch of free nine millimeter ammo at a camp. So And if Carhartt's listening, we hey, will accept a sponsorship absolutely. from Carhartt. Absolutely. Dairyland, as soon as you open, <laughs> I will drink a milkshake during every episode. <laughs> so but Tab family, we love and appreciate you. And until next time, this is John and Britton signing off.